morning. So we are in a, we've been in a series this last month of messages called Lost, where we've been talking about how in the busyness of life, it's easy to get a little bit distracted, right, by the cares of our lives and to lose track of what's most important. And so we've been talking about through this series this very common acronym that the U.S. Forest Service uses to kind of help you when you're lost out in the woods or out in the desert. And we've come to find that it's a great acronym for our own lives as well. And it is the acronym STOP. Right. And so today is the last message in this series. And so this is the morning of the final exam. I don't know if you recognize that or knew that. So let me ask you guys this morning as we get started... Let's, let's walk through, what, are, what, is, what does STOP stand for? What are those four things that STOP stands for? It stands for, oops, STOP, yes, think, observe, and plan, yes, STOP, think, observe, and plan. STOP, we've, we learned in week one, it just means when we're feeling a little bit lost, or directionless in life, when we're feeling that little bit of panic, wondering what are we going to do when unexpected things come our way, that we, the first thing that we recognize we need to do is rest. That we need to be in God's presence. We need to allow that fear, that anxiety to go and place our hope and our trust in God. And sometimes we rest for a small amount of time. Sometimes we need to go into a season where we just wind down because we've just been pushing ourselves far too hard. And we recognize that we can't hear God when we're running so hard all the time. And we talked about think and how important it is once we've stopped to rest, that then, that then is the moment we can start to think clearly. And as we think clearly, we reflect back on our past. We think back on the trail of life. Where is it maybe perhaps that we took a wrong turn? And can we get back to that place to get back to where God wants us to be? And then last week we talked about the idea of observing, that not just thinking back to our past, but thinking about how we, in the midst of the challenges that we're facing, the, the, maybe times when we're feeling a little bit lost, where do we see the fingerprints of God around us? Where do we see those little aspects of how God is at work that it could be easy in the business and the distractedness of life to just completely miss? But slowing down enough to say, God, help me to see, help me to observe how you're at work around me. So that I can come to appreciate and rest and relax and know that I can trust you and I can walk whatever path you have for me and know that you are with me. And today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the idea of, of planning and how we can, we can rest, we can think, we can observe. But if we don't pull those things together into some sort of a plan, then we really haven't taken full advantage of this season that God has us in in life. Now, over this series, I have read a lot of stories about people who have gotten lost in all kinds of crazy ways. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the things that I have read. I actually read uh, just a few days ago, oh, I'm tearing this thing apart up here, about this 27-year-old guy who went, went with his girlfriend into the Himalayas to hike. And they got lost in a snowstorm. She actually died while they were trying to find their way out. And he was finally found seven weeks after he got lost in a cave in the Himalayas by someone. He, almost, he was at the, almost at the point of death himself. I read the story about this one teenage boy who was lost in the Australian outback during the middle of a record heat wave for nine weeks without sustainable water, without food, without shelter. Somehow this kid managed to survive after nine weeks. And then the one that really got me, the, one, the story I would really love to know even more about was about a guy who was lost at sea for 484 days. Can you imagine? I mean, he started out on the, uh, with a boat that capsized off the coast of Japan, 
And 484 days later, he was found off the coast of California. So there are all these stories about people who, are get, who get lost in life. But I think the craziest one I have heard throughout this whole series, I was actually talking about this with someone at Grace just recently, was a guy who managed to get lost in the woods of Maine for 27 years. 27 years. Now, you might say he was lost. He actually chose to be lost. Christopher Knight, he was 20 years old when on one day in 1986, he suddenly quit his job. He was an installer of home and car alarms. He cashed his last paycheck and he left town. He drove aimlessly up and down the East Coast for days until he finally decided to point his car back toward Maine where he was raised. He thought, you know, how nice it would be to just get away from people once and for all. He, he decided, so he decided, I'm going to just start driving into the remote woods of Maine and just find somewhere to hang out for a little while. So he starts driving down these remote roads and then he says, I drove till I nearly ran out of gas. I took a small road, then a small road off that small road, and then a trail off of that. He went as far as the wilderness would take him, parked his car, threw the keys inside, and started walking. He had no plan whatsoever. He just did it. He had no map. He had no compass. He had no place in mind to go. All he had was a backpack with a few basic camping supplies. It didn't take long for him to realize that his non-plan had one fatal flaw, and that was food. He didn't have a way to hunt, so he was managing to live off of grubs and roadkill. He didn't have a way to cook, so he ate the roadkill raw. That was too much information, wasn't it? Okay, sorry about that. Pretty soon, this little idea, this non-plan of his got a little bit old. There were no fruit trees around, so he graduated. He, started, um, he found some remote cabins around different lakes, and he started kind of going into their gardens when they weren't around and grabbing an ear or two of corn here and there, grabbing some potatoes, grabbing some green vegetables. And then over time, he realized they're not going to be able to keep it up what I need off of a garden. So he graduated into robbing homes. He decided he wasn't going to actually ask for help. He didn't want a handout because that would involve having to talk to people. So he decided to just kind of scope out homes and rob them when they weren't around. Not to pillage them, not to vandalize, just to take the food just so that he could survive. That was his new plan. He actually built a remote hideout for himself in the woods of Maine. And it was quite a place that he had there over the years. He became known as the Mountain Man or the North Pond Hermit. Over a hundred houses were on his circuit over the course of those 27 years that he routinely robbed. It became so routine in this part of central Maine that people would leave their extra food when they left their cabins in bags on their doorknobs with a little note that says, hey, while we're at the grocery store this next time, is there anything that you want? (laughs) Now, he was kind of a smart individual. He figured if I write a note back, maybe they can somehow trace my handwriting. So he didn't ever respond to them. And he never took the food off the doorknobs because they might have poisoned it or something. So he would just leave the food on the doorknob and then he'd break in in their house and find something to eat. But over time, his 1986 knowledge of home and car alarms started to fail him. As technology got more and more advanced, as people started installing motion alarms and, and cameras and all these sorts of things. And so he was finally caught in 
in the year 2013 when he was 47 years old. He went to prison for seven months. He was probably the only person alive who actually begged for solitary confinement and didn't get it. Last year, a book was published on his story that you can actually buy off of Amazon even today. But all that I say is to say this. He went into the woods as a young man without a plan. But in time to survive, he had to come up with a plan. Though it wasn't really a good one, right? And to stay alive, you and I also have to come up with some kind of a plan. You and I, every one of us in this room, we all have a plan of sorts that we live by every day. We follow it pretty religiously. Every single day, these same patterns without even thinking. We wake up in the morning and we, we go to the restroom and we, uh, look, we brush our teeth and we look in the mirror. Sometimes, you know, some of you, you're looking in the mirror like four or five times in the morning, right? There's this pattern, you go, getting breakfast, getting in your car, driving to work, and then making your way back home. And we repeat these same patterns over and over and over again throughout our lives. There's a plan that we follow for our day-to-day lives, for our existence, whether we recognize it or not. With all of these, with all of these things, um, what I'm starting to recognize in my own life is that we don't just need a plan for our day-to-day lives when those sorts of things. There are times in our lives when we're struggling with something, when we're needing help when it comes to either maybe a diet or exercise or an education, and we realize there's some intentionality that needs to be there, some planning, or otherwise we'll never get there in life. And even to an extent, I think our faith, the faith aspect of our lives applies to that as well. Our, our relationship with God. We can drift through life year after year after year and without any kind of a plan, our relationship with God maybe perhaps never really grows, it never really deepens, we just kind of coast, we kind of drift. And what I feel like what we're going to see today as we open up the scriptures is that even in our spiritual lives, we need some kind of a plan in order to achieve the things that we hope to get in life, including a, a closer relationship with God. This is especially true in the age we're living today, which is an age so full of distractions. For most of us, there's a screen in our pocket that gives us a ticket to escape as long as we want for any moment of the day, making it difficult to pray or even to be still without falling asleep. Years can go by, and we're no closer to God than we were before, and we're no more patient, no more kind, no more self-controlled than a year ago or 27 years ago. And sooner or later, we have to ask ourselves, if that's the case, is that the life we want? Or is there more to life than just kind of drifting through? You know, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote about these distractions in the book of 1 Corinthians. And he said something very simple but very profound. And I'm just going to focus on this one verse today because I think it's pretty interesting. He said this. He said, all I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. Isn't that interesting? All I want for you, Paul says, is for you to be able to live, to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master, with God, without a lot of distractions. 
Now, he doesn't say here, notice, that we're to live a life without distractions whatsoever, right? I mean, that's not realistic. Well, that, distractions can actually be helpful for us sometimes. They can get our mind off of things, right? But Paul says we shouldn't be living in such a way where we're so constantly distracted that we're never really together with the Master, with the Lord. I mean, look at this verse again. He says, to do so, we need to develop a way of life in which we can spend time together with the Master. If we expect it, it's just going to happen somehow by a random chance. It probably isn't going to happen. It's not going to be built into our routine unless we build some intentionality into it. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer here. This pa- I'm, I'm pulling a passage a little bit out of context. I'm not explaining to you the whole context around 1 Corinthians 7. If I did, here, here's basically what you would see. You're basically looking in 1 Corinthians 7 at Paul's view of marriage. At which is Paul's view of marriage was basically, if you can avoid it, please do. That was his approach to marriage. Now, you can take it or leave it, but Paul said basically that marriage is a very complicated venture. And he said, he said in marriage, our attention and our demands for our time are divided. Because, and it isn't because we're messing up in our marriage, it's because we're doing it right that our attention is divided. So he says, it's not that you're doing anything wrong, but, but, but if you can avoid it, if, he says, if you can avoid getting married, if you, basically, if you can avoid not being burned up with passion and being tempted to sin all the time, he says, please just avoid it at all costs. He says, because if you can, then you can be with God and walk with God in a more profound way than if you're married. Now, I think, personally, that Paul's view of marriage was a little bit restrictive. As, as a single person, he, I don't think he ever came to realize the beauty and the richness that comes from marriage. So I wouldn't give you that personal recommendation myself, as, as he did. And even he said in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, this isn't God speaking, this is just Paul talking. I don't think it's a good idea. That's what he said. But I say that to say this. I can't imagine if Paul thinks marriage is distracting, to think what he would think about 21st century America. And the distractions we're living today. I think his head would spin. Looking at us and the way we live our lives today. Distractions are things that we never think are going to take that long. Or make that much difference in our lives. But they can. And they do. And the question is. If we can keep those distractions at bay. With a plan. If we live by a plan every day to survive to do all the things that we think are most important to us, like eating and sleeping and brushing our teeth, taking a shower. What about the things like quality time with God and building a relationship with God? Being in intentional relationships with other believers so that we can draw closer to the heart of God. As we saw last week in the passage uh, where Jesus was tempted, where he was lost and hungry in the wilderness, it said... We can't just live off of food, Jesus said. We have to find life in our time with God. So that's our big idea today. That we can't just stop and rest. We can't just think and observe what's going on around us in those times when we're feeling a little bit lost. In those moments, we need to realize that we need a plan for how to include Christ in our day-to-day lives. Otherwise, if we fail to plan, as the old adage goes... We plan to fail. 
right? Now, this isn't my idea. If you look back into the days of the, uh, the earliest days of the church, you see that this was taught routinely. In fact, even in the earliest days, right after Christ was resurrected, there was a document that was written that was used by the early, by the early church known as the Didache. And I've talked about this in years past. This is a, one of the ancient copies of the Didache that was found. But this was a writing that dates back to the time of the New Testament. And it's also, it, the word Didache means teaching in Greek. This book was all, this little booklet was also called The Teachings of the Twelve Apostles. And basically what it was used as was a manual for early Christians. When, early, when people would accept Christ and come into the life of the church, they would use this little manual, which you can actually read. I actually put a copy of it in the English on mygrace.church in the sermon notes. You can read it in like five minutes. But it kind of lays out the basics for what it means to start to be discipled and to live the Christian life. And there's kind of a plan for living the rule of, a rule of life, rule to follow our faith in this Didache. It talks about praying three times a day is a really good practice. It talks about fasting, believe it or not, twice a week. And it talks about going to church on Sundays. And basically what they're describing is if you can kind of start to learn how to build these practices into your life, then you can draw closer to the heart of God. And that, in essence, was a a basic plan that the early church gave to brand new Christians. Now, fast forward uh, maybe two or three centuries, this guy named Augustine comes on the scene. Most of the time today when you buy books on Augustine, he's called St. Augustine. But he lived in the 300s A.D. And one of the things that he did that was, he was a very influential leader of the church back in his day. And he created this plan that he called the rule of common life for lay Christians. Later it became shortened to Augustine's rule. And it has been copied and followed by Christians for centuries. In fact, you can go on Amazon today and you can still buy a copy of Augustine's rule, this basic plan of life, this rule of life for how to walk with God in your day-to-day life. By the early 500s, you, you've heard me talk about this in recent months, a guy named, by the name of Benedict came on the scene. This teenage guy who started following God with all of his heart, and over time God used him to, to start monasteries all over Europe. And he created what became known as the rule of Benedict, or Benedict's rule. And believe it or not, There have been millions of people for the last 1,500 years that have read his rule and incorporated some of the practices that he talks about, that he encouraged his monks to follow. People have followed those in their day-to-day lives. Even in 21st century America, as people live their busy lives, they have built aspects of the rule of life that Benedict talked about 1,500 years ago into their lives. And this is just a few examples of all these rules of life that followers of Jesus have created for themselves over the course of the last 2,000 years to help build intentionality into their walks with God. So this idea of a rule of life, basically it's this. It's It's a plan for the regular rhythms of your life that you value the most And that you believe are the best way to offer your life to God as an act of worship. This idea of a rule of life, this isn't a wish list. This isn't a set of New Year's resolutions where you put all these ridiculous things on there that you think you're going to somehow accomplish and just hope for the best, right? And then forget about them a few weeks later. A rule of life is meant to be simple and sustainable. Basic things that you know with all of your heart feed life into you. 
that help you draw closer to the heart of God and that you want to have as a part of your life on a day-to-day basis. They can speak to all, a rule of life can speak to all sorts of things. It can speak to your walk with God. It can speak to physical aspects of your life like diet or an exercise routine. It can speak to the relational aspects of your life like the time that you want to intentionally make sure you spend each week with your spouse or your, your kids or your grandkids. Maybe, maybe it speaks to your work routine and maybe you find, you know what, sometimes in my life I feel like my work life gets a little bit out of balance. And I want to be a little more intentional about how to keep that within the bounds of what Christ is showing me I need to do. So maybe somehow that is some intentional thought is put into that aspect of it. For some, I've heard, them, heard some people say they talk about their spending or their giving patterns in their rule of life. The things that they intentionally want to do with their finances. Maybe it talks about rhythms of rest in your life and how you intentionally want to incorporate those. All these sorts of things are things that maybe God would inspire you and say, I want this built into the rhythms of your day-to-day life. And you'd want to just jot those down and say, Lord, let's commit to those together from this point forward. And it's a living document. It can be one that changes from year to year. I know for me, I I wrote a rule of life when I was in seminary 15 years ago. One of my professors talked about it. never heard of it before. But I came up with one, and I routinely use it. I, go, I actually went back to it back in the, over the, just before the holidays, and I rewrote a few aspects of it because my life's changed a little bit since I've been back from sabbatical. But it's basically just saying, God, let's, let's have a plan for how we live our lives together. I don't want to drift from day to day, week to week, year by year, just hoping that somehow I'm going to draw closer to you by osmosis. I want to be intentional about it because you are everything to me. And the things that you're speaking to me that you see as important for my life, I think are important for my life. I refer to a rule of life kind of like a stake which holds up a plant. You know, in my office for the last seven years has been this pitiful little plant. (laughs) I call this plant Zoe. Which means life, because I just kind of keep hoping that life is going to somehow be breathed into this thing. I'm surprised I haven't killed this. I don't have a green thumb, guys. I never had anything close. So I've, I've come close to killing this thing many times. And in fact, there are three women here in the church who have helped rescue this poor Zoe on numerous occasions, including this last summer while I was on sabbatical. I came back, this thing was on its last leg. I just knew it was over. And now it has miraculously come back to life again. But one of the things, the reason I put this on stage this morning and it's not on my office desk is because of this almost invisible stake that's in the middle of this plant. And that stake has a rope that's holding, you see, for the, for the parts of this plant that it's not holding up, they're drooping and falling. But there's a couple of, of stalks here that are being held up by this stake. It's, it's the structure, it's the grid that is keeping this plant, giving this plant the ability to grow up and not just fall down and just kind of grow wherever. And I kind of think that's what a rule of life is like. It's not meant to bind us. It's not meant to restrict us in any way. It's to help point us upward. It's to help us to grow in the direction we want to grow and provide that structural support to help us to achieve the things that God is stirring in our hearts that he wants us to achieve. It's not a spiritual version of a New Year's resolution. It's a, 
it's a little bit of a, a commitment between us and God, personally, individually, that we might not even share with anyone else, where we talk with God about the things that are most important to us. Here at Grace, we have a rule of life as well. In, in a way, we call it our four spiritual commitments. We talk about these all the time. These are four Healthy habits that we talk about here at Grace that helps provide that structural support to help us continue to grow closer to God. We talk about those four spiritual commitments as a commitment to worshiping Christ here every single Sunday that we're, we can. We talk about having personal time with God each day, creating that space in our day to focus on Christ. We talk about being in intentional relationships with other believers through short-term groups or life groups like the ones that, were, that Sue so beautifully described a little bit earlier this morning. Places where we can grow in faith together and spur each other on to love and good deeds. And we talk about serving others that we don't just receive, but we take the things that God has given us and we offer those to our community and to our world and to each other. So... How many of you have created New Year's resolutions this year? Raise your hands. How many of you actually did that? Very few of you. How many of you have actually held on to those resolutions already? Okay, now I'm starting to see the few hands I had start to drop. How many of you have just given up on New Year's resolutions altogether? No, raise your hands. Okay. I get you. I've been there. I haven't done one in years. Well, as, as we start out 2019, can I offer you a new approach? Can I encourage you to put a simple rule of life together for yourself? I encourage you uh, this afternoon and this week, take a look at your online sermon notes at mygrace.church. I'm in there, I include a template. I can include some examples of others who have created a rule of life, some resources that you can use, very simple, basic things to kind of spur your thoughts and help you in your time with God to create some sort of a structure there to your life. You know, one year from now, you're going to be one year older. At least I hope so. Otherwise, you'll be dead. You'll be one year older regardless of how you choose to live. The question is how you will choose to live in this new year. Will you live intentionally, more in line with the goals that you have for your life, the goals that Christ has for your life? Will you follow a path that you believe God has for you, just for you? Will you be intentional at putting Christ at the center of your days this coming year and anticipate that you will grow through it? Or will you just kind of drift through life a little bit lost, hoping for the best? Like so many things in life, if we fail to plan how we include Christ in our days, we're planning to fail. This morning as I wrap up my time, I'd like to ask Becca... Anderson to come up here. Would you give her a hand? So, Becca, thank you for coming up here this morning. You're I, welcome. I, there are some things that I am looking forward to having you share with our congregation this morning. But let me just start by asking you, this rule of life concept, is that brand new to you? Or have you ever had something like that in your life? Um, I have never heard it called that, um, but... I can relate to the intentionality of planning um, how you're going to live out your faith because um, when I became a parent, I realized that my kind of just like going with the flow and not having real intentional um, 
times with God and filling myself up, I was like, I can't do that with a kid because a kid is not going to be like, oh, mom, you happen to read Ephesians 4 today. Well, well, I'm going to ask a question that's exactly in that. (laughs) No, Carly asked a random question at a random time, and I just need to be prepared with a random answer. And so I have to be intentional about being prepared. (laughs) Yeah. Now, when I came back from sabbatical, I realized that God had been doing some pretty incredible things in your life over the summer. I would love for you to just kind of encapsulate in just a, a few words what that has what that's been for you. So, um, like I said, becoming a parent um, totally changed my um, approach to faith and made me realize I need to understand my faith and live out my faith um, really well so that my kids will catch that, that I can't just talk at them and have them fall in love with Jesus. They need to see me love Jesus and me loving others the way Jesus loves us, and then they will fall in love with Jesus, um, and it'll be their faith and not mine that I've forced on them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized how unprepared I felt to do that and how, as I looked for resources, I realized how few resources it seems like there are out there for um, parents to really do that intentionally. And... um, So I felt like God was saying I needed to step into that place and use my experience as a teacher and now as a parent to um, really minister to parents um, and how they can um, step into the responsibility of shepherding their kids' faith. Yeah. So what does that look like? What's um, going to happen? I wasn't totally sure, and um, God was like he was sending me little pieces of a letter in the mail, and um, as I would get each piece, it would become clearer, and um, I realized that seminary was where God was wanting to send me. So um, in March, I am starting um, online classes through Palmer Theological Seminary that's in Pennsylvania, and um, getting a master's in theology that's uh, designed for people who are going to apply it to uh, ministry and not necessarily uh, ministry as a pastor. And um, I'm really excited and really nervous because that's a huge time commitment, and I already have three kids that are taking up a lot of time. So. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what has this, what have, what's the structure of your life going to look like? How will you adjust your own rule of life, for lack of a better word, and how can we be praying with you and supporting you through this? Well, first, I don't want um, my family to take second uh, fiddle to my seminary classes. Um, I still want to be a totally present mom and a totally present wife, so um, I am going to have to be intentional with my rule of life of saying, like, my seminary time, study time is over, and I'm totally focused on my family, and I will pick that back up later. Um, And so you could be praying for me in that, that I can figure out how to balance that um, and still be fully present. Um, And then also, spiritually, I don't want my faith to become academic, like spending time uh, reading things that other people have written about God and um, really studying church history and all of that. I don't want the academic part of my brain to take over um, my faith. So I think um, God sent me another little piece of a letter. He's been showing me how much of a doer I am. And even in my time with him, I'm doing something by reading the Bible. I'm doing something by writing in my journal. I'm doing something by just talking to him through prayer. And um, I think God wants me to 
do nothing with him um, through contemplative prayer where I just sit in his presence and I don't have to say anything and he doesn't have to speak to me in words that I can just sit and be there. And it's really hard to not fall asleep while I'm sitting there doing nothing in God's presence. So that's uh, um, like a muscle I'm going to have to work out and getting longer, being able to do that for longer and longer periods Mm -hmm. of time. Um, And I think that will help keep my faith from becoming too brainy and less in my heart. Yeah. But any other ways that we can be supporting you? Yes, so um, Foundation's team has uh, graciously uh, said that they will support me through the Grace Education Fund. Um, So if you uh, feel called or led or excited with me about this and you would like to contribute to the Grace Education Fund, um, they are going to help pay part of my tuition Uh, to seminary. So if you want more information about how you can do that, how you can pray for me, um, how you can babysit my three beautiful children, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I'll be out in the breezeway and I'd be happy to talk to you about all of that. Yeah. So basically that that fund, uh, the Grace Seminary Fund, actually is one that was used to help Pastor Brian go to school and be able to get his education so that he can be used in ministry. And it's a place where you can give and your gifts are all charitable, tax-deductible, but they can be used um, as needed to help people go to school and to be able to be prepared to, walk, to live in the ministry. So if you'd like to support Beck in that way, you can feel free to grab one of our letters as you, in the breezeway as you leave today and find out about that and support her in any way you'd like. I know that my wife and I are looking forward to being able to support you in this. I think it's a great thing you're doing. Well, thank you. And I really, truly value your prayers or your babysitting time or even just like a cheerleading word of encouragement in the breezeway as much as or even more than a financial gift. So I, I know what God has done in you guys and through you guys, and so I just um, appreciate all of the support and encouragement you guys have already given as I've shared with some of you what uh, God is doing. And we're looking forward to seeing how God's going to use you in the years to come. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time this morning to be in your word and to wrestle with some of these things that we've talked about today. Lord, I pray for for Becca as she gets ready to go off on this venture and start seminary. Lord, I pray that you would use her in the months and years to come as, as she learns what you want her to learn, to be able to impact this community here at Grace, this this city. Lord, there's so many families that are struggling with just trying to figure out how to how to raise their kids in a way that draws them closer to God and not drive them away or allow them to be distracted by all the things that pull away, pull their attention. Lord, I pray that you would just set Becca apart. Use her, Lord, in the months and years to come in this way. Help us, Lord, to support her well in this venture she's taking. And Lord, for all of us, as we figure out how to live our lives more intentionally, to follow you more closely with a plan, Lord, I pray that you would just inspire us this week as we spend personal time with you. Lord, help us to see how we can be very intentional in all the aspects of our lives that you find important and that we see are important. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just take some time this morning as we wrap up our time to be in God's presence. I'll put a next step question on the screen. If you'd like to take of communion, you can do so. And then we'll wrap up our service in just a moment.